Welcome to episode 96 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. This is the December 2019 episode, and Eric and Garrett are with me as always. Eric, Garrett, say hello, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hola. Bienvenue. Uh, we will go ahead and start as we normally do. What's become a kind of a routine for us with a workshop update. And I'm going to kick it over to Eric because I've seen a video of what you've been up to in your workshop. So why don't you start us out? You said well, you Eric, seen, but I'm pretty yeah, sure you meant say, yeah, Garrett. Nothing, nothing's been going on in my workshop. <laughs> I damn well guarantee you that. Okay. I'll just have to, uh, let me, let me do this. Garrett. See, I can yeah. splice that in. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I got the RZ running, uh, finally. So, uh, I, I posted this video on Instagram and texted it to, um, YouTube, but I haven't put it on our Facebook page yet. I've just been super busy, but, um, the RZ350 is running. It's running very well. Um, and, you know, it's funny because a guy on, on Instagram asked me how long I had been working on it. And, I've been working on it since April, although, you know, in terms of hours, I don't really know how many hours I'm into it because, you know, I've been in school and really I've only been able to like tinker on it here and there, kind of like an hour on weekends and so forth. So it's taken me way longer than it should have, but um, it is it's running. I should say was running um, technically still runs, but I went for the first ride around the block and immediately felt the clutch slipping. Um, and so now I'm in the middle of resolving that. And uh, I'll tell you guys a bit about that. So um, this now an RZ 350 to actuate the clutch. Um, the, the, the actuator is on the left side of the engine and it pushes on a rod, which pushes on a small ball which pushes on a, a device that is connected to the pressure plate. So it just kind of pushes the whole thing out sideways, unloads the clutch. So what RZ350s are prone to doing is when you're sitting at a stoplight, for instance, and you have the clutch, you have the clutch ever pulled in, you are, um, you have all that pressure sitting on the rod and the ball. So all of your clutch springs are are pushed on and all of that pressure is sitting on the rod and the ball and it heats up and it will weld together. And once that welds together, you can no longer disengage the clutch. It'll just be stuck. Now, all modern motorcycles use like a pancake bearing on the clutch pressure plate so that when you're sitting at a light, um, you, you have the clutch um, pulled in and it's just riding on bearings instead of that ball and rod. Now, back in the day, people with RZ350s would just machine the, the little clutch, um, pressure plate gizmo. And I'm putting pictures of that on our chat. We can probably post them up to, uh, either Universe or Facebook. But, um, back in the day, people used to just machine the factory clutch pressure plate device and put a pancake bearing in it. And you can still do that. The problem is, is they're hardened steel and they're just really difficult to machine. Um, and so nowadays you can get really inexpensively this aluminum device that has um, kind of a space needed to be able to put that pancake bearing in. Now, the bearing rides on steel washers, so it's not like a bearing on aluminum. It's still bearing on steel. 
Um, now, the one that I got must have been machined improperly because there was basically it was too thick for the the clutch to completely engage. So it would like kind of engage so I could like start off riding on it. But as soon as I gave it any gas, a clutch would slip just because the pressure plate wasn't able to travel all the way in to engage the clutch completely. Okay, so you had already done the update to the pancake bearing. Yeah, it yeah. just wasn't it, working. Yeah, it was in and installed. Um, now, I never checked the clearance because I've installed these before and never had an issue. On this one, it, it must have just been made improperly. And so basically, it, it all installed normally. Um, it, it adjusted normally. But it was basically like five thousandths or ten thousandths of an inch too thick. And so it just wouldn't let the clutch completely engage. Um, so what I did now, there is a bunch of different ways this could be resolved. But basically what I did is and you guys can see it, the viewers can't. But on the clutch pressure plate um, where this whole pancake bearing um, goes on, I just machined 30,000 seven inch off the clutch pressure plate. Um, now I have enough clearance for the clutch to completely engage. Um, I have my little pancake bearing installed. So uh, I'm just waiting on a clutch gasket to put it all back together now. So long story short, um, it was running. The clutch was slipping. I've resolved that issue. I just need to put it back together and it'll be done. Until the next issue pops up. <laughs> <laughs> but, so um, so that's that's in progress. I did get the. The only other thing that I needed to do on it was adjust the auto lube pump. You're supposed to adjust that. It doesn't require the engine to run, but when the engine's running, the pump actuator is moving in and out kind of slowly at idle. And per the manuals, you're supposed to stop the engine right when the actuator is at its furthest travel away for that auto lube. And, but it's like, pretty much impossible to actually kill the engine right when the travel is farthest away because it's cycling probably like one and a half times a second and so you really can't time it just right so i'll probably adjust it a, a little bit different way um right now i just have um premix oil in it i just wanted to ensure that it had enough lubrication for break-in so i have it just premix in the tank and then i'll get the auto lube pump adjusted to where I want it. And then I'll just run uh, can, unmixed gas in it. Can you put a, uh, a socket on the, like a crank nut or something and just turn it manually to get the, the, the rod to go to, for lack of a better term, top dead center. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, you, you would, you just have to rotate the engine enough and you can do that by hand. Um, so I can take calipers and, and basically keep rotating the engine and using calipers and check it. And it'll take a lot of rotations. Probably what I'll do is like put the motorcycle in fifth or sixth gear and then rotate the back tire, um, you know, with it off just to get it so I can make sure that it's at the furthest travel. Because when you're trying to just time it and shut off the engine at idle, when it's, you'll, you'll never get it right where you want yeah. it. Um, so yeah, I'll just, I'll put it like in fifth or sixth gear, uh, back tire off the ground and just kind of roll the engine and, uh, and, and adjust it that way. It, it's been far too long since I've owned a two stroke motorcycle where you're saying yeah. that and I'm like, 
Oh, you can turn the motor well, you know, yeah, <laughs> without compression. And, you know, exactly with 350 cc's, especially on a two-stroke. Yeah, um, very easy to roll yeah, the motor no, over. I remember um, my 125 GP bike a little bit, so yeah, yeah. Um, and then I today installed the trim for the windscreen and the the front cowling, so I can get that put on the motorcycle. So that's really it. I just need my clutch cover gasket. Um, adjust the auto lube pump and then it's it's ready to do some miles so um, other workshop updates you guys see the picture of all that fancy zinc plating that I got yes. in the Skype chat yes. yeah so I sent all of this off in fact it was like probably a year year and a half ago I was talking on this podcast with you guys about finding a place to do some zinc coating and I found a place out in North Carolina that um, got good reviews on some motorcycle restoration forums. And so I figured I'd give them a shot. And I sent basically every piece of hardware for my little Honda Z50 project. And then also my KX250 project. Um, all the hardware to this company out in North Carolina. And they, they zinc plated it all. Now what they do, what a lot of zinc shops do is um, they barrel plate so they, they're able to just kind of use this plastic barrel and throw all the hardware in it after prepping it and it just tumbles around and, and coats everything so it's really economical compared to like chrome shops or you know like dipping where you actually have to like string all the individual parts and then like dip mm-hmm. it down in the tank um, so for a hundred bucks I got two entire motorcycles worth of hardware now that looks brand new and so just to give you an idea of like how much more economical that is, is I on my Z50, I bought all new factory hardware from Honda just for the engine, which was only like 20 bolts <laughs> and little tiny bolts. And it was like one hundred and forty dollars just <laughs> just for that hardware for the engine. Now, I had all of my hardware re-zinked for two motorcycles minus minus the engines. So I don't have the KX. 250 engine hardware or the Honda engine hardware in this not it wouldn't have made any difference because it's kind of like a flat rate um 100 bucks and I'm thrilled Uh, a couple I learned though in like with any plating shop if you want it to look perfect you got to do a lot of the prep yourself or like pretty much all of the prep yourself I this hardware I spent some time and I prepped it pretty well but I figured the rest of it they'd be able to do and for the most part they did although there are some bolts that had a little bit more like kind of caked on stuff or maybe just thicker rust that didn't get treated enough so not all all the hardware is perfect but i would say like 95 percent of it is flawless and the other five percent is good enough so all in all for a hundred bucks i'm pretty pretty happy with it that's a lot of stuff for a 100 bucks mm-hmm. yeah and it, yeah and it does look i mean at least from a distance it looks good you know it looks yeah. good enough that once you have it on the bike people aren't gonna look at it and go oh that doesn't look very nice oh yeah for sure no you'd have to look really really close um for it like to actually pick up some of the flaws but yeah i mean considering the shape of the motorcycles that this stuff came off of it is just absolutely remarkable so yeah, I mean, a hundred bucks—that's that's a no-brainer. So um, I'll, I'll just say if, to anybody that is interested, um, Parker Metal Finishing 
and Greensboro, North Carolina. They're the ones that did this. Um, super happy with the way it turned out. Um, it took a long time, uh, partly because, you know, they're, they're across the, the country for me. So it takes, you know, quite some time for shipping. And then I didn't realize that, like, they only take checks. They don't do debit or credit cards or anything. So, um, I sent it there. They, they completed it, which took, you know, another week. And then they called me to tell me how much a total was. And it was a hundred bucks. And I'm like, okay, I can pay with my card. And they're like, no, just send a check. So then I had to, you know, <laughs> mail a check there before they would send it back. And so all in all, it took, um, just over a month. Now in the future, I know this. So I can, you know, probably take a picture of what I have and just say, Hey, you know, what's this going to cost? And then include a check with it. And, and, you know, probably save a week or so of time. But um, that um, that fit like in a flat rate shipping box. Yeah, exactly. I sent this in a USPS medium flat rate, which was way too big, actually, for the parts. But I kind of double boxed it just in case yeah. anything happened to the box. So I put it in just like a really small box um, inside a medium flat rate. So it costs like $13 to ship it there. Um, and yeah, so. I'm super excited now to have all this hardware back so I can um, pretty much have what I need to finish my Z50 project. So, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Cool. I have a RZ that is almost back on the road and a Z50 that's at least getting some work now. Now that I'm done with school, I have so much more free time to work on motorcycles. Yes, congratulations so, in order yeah, for and, completing yeah. your nursing degree. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And, and now and now after your graduation ceremony Saturday on Monday morning, you'll be handed a list by your wife. Of like, great. Oh, she already here's has a, one. <laughs> say, here's all the things that need to be done now that you're done with school. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's so true. It, the thing with working on motorcycles is I can sneak off for like 30 minutes at a time or an hour. And it's the these are things where I can kind of like I can stop working on it. I can put the work down and come back to it pretty easily. The stuff that I have been neglecting to do over the past four years for her, like house stuff, it's really hard to just like, like stop it and come back to it. You know, it's like we're remodeling our laundry room and I have to like get all the tools out and set up and, and, but I can't leave them out, uh, like saws and all that kind of stuff. So it's really hard to just work on it as you can versus the motorcycle shop. Everything is in the shop and you can kind of leave it set up versus inside your house so at any rate i have a lot of catching up to do and she has a lengthy list of projects <laughs> for me to do. So. Yeah, yeah i uh i forgot where what what where i was or what i talked about last time we we were on but like the the extent of of my um adventures out in the garage have been like we had a we had a, like 10 inches of snow come down at one point so everything got moved to the garage so I could get the the snow blowers and the the snow blower and the and the shovels and everything else out and then of course it was cold then of course it all melts and it's like okay for a couple of days I'm like oh okay I get out there and then and eh, no um but the other thing is I ordered some brass brushes to put on the end of uh, a drill so I could clean up some stuff and clean up the chambers and the cylinder head and a few other places. So it, it's one of those things. And so the other thing I probably need to do, which I think I probably said I needed to do a year ago when we were on this, on this podcast is I need to buy one of those, um, 
kerosene powered forced air garage turbo garage yeah. heater kind of yeah. thingies. Um, and it won't be ever be warm out there, but at least it'll be less cold. Um, and it's probably one of those things like three or four hours worth of work, and I could probably get ninety five percent of it all together. So, what I, it's, it's that motivation factor, you know. When I lived in Idaho, I had a detached garage that was not heated, uh, and I bought one of those. They had a killer sale at. Sears when Sears was actually a good place to go buy tools and they had a one of the larger bullet kerosene heaters and I also had a truck stop very close to my house that sold number one diesel which is basically kerosene Mm -hmm. and so that was a very cheap and efficient way what I discovered is when the parts get really cold and you have you know below freezing metal you got to run that thing for a long, long time because it would heat up the air very quickly. But the concrete floor and anything that's metal takes so long to warm up that I would. There are times I when it was really cold, you know, 10, 12 degrees out, I would fire it up. Before I went to work, come home at lunch, turn it off because I, I was almost walking distance from from my home where I worked so I could come home, turn it off just to kind of preheat everything. And then when I came home after work, I would crank it up again, have dinner and go out and everything would be just about able to handle with my bare hands, but still mm-hmm. be cold to the touch, but still workable. And, and, and that's the problem is once it gets cold, it takes so long to warm it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that, uh, where I, I can, I can absolutely identify with that is, um, I've been taking flying lessons. I haven't had a ton of them yet, but we're getting there little by little. And so the, the person who owns the airplane, the instructor, I mean, he, he insulated as well as you can with like rigid foam insulation, like the doors and the walls and everything like that. And he's got one of these, um, those heaters and, and I, I have a phone number to call and it automatically turns it on and, so it can start preheating things and then it plugs it. He's got an engine block heater in it so that that's always warm. And it's, it's funny how, like how quickly when you turn everything off and unplug the engine block heater, because it's an air cooled motor, you can just reach and, and feel the cylinder heads and stuff like that. Um, how quickly that stuff cools off, mm-hmm. uh, even when it's running for a while. So it's, it's pretty, and then it gets kind of decent in there. And as soon as you open that door to pull the plane out and then close the door, it's like, yeah, you, you can't even tell that mm-hmm. it was ever heated in there. Yep, so yep. yeah, it's kind of kind of wild. Right. Thankfully, we're getting to the shortest day of the year, so it's going to be easier to fly a little bit because pretty much have to be done at like five o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I have my niece is pursuing a career as a pilot, and she had has had her pilot private pilot's license for a while, and she the plane that she normally rents is going to get scrapped in January because it's, well, it's a, it's a 152 oh. and it's, it's like 16 to $18,000 for the mandatory overhaul to keep it legal. Oh yeah. For the engine. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. it's a $16,000 airplane. airplane. Yeah. So it's, it's just going to go away. And they're like, yeah, nobody's going to pay double, you know, to buy this. And then, yeah. Do the engine is it, it, they're like, we don't have a buyer for it. We're not going to do it. 
So it's just going to go away. So she's like, you need to get out here this month and go fly because it's going to be gone forever in January. And I'm like, well, the, uh, yeah, but I got to get out there when it's light, you know? There's probably about $10,000 worth of parts on that. So they'll, they'll, like, oh, they'll make their off. money back, but not as a working aircraft. Yeah, not as a working airplane. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. exactly. Oh, uh, so. How about you, Pete? You've been working on. Well, right now, stuff? because of, uh, year end, uh, personal property taxes that we have to pay in Missouri and, you know, on all our vehicles and, um, Christmas gifts and commitments to various family members time-wise. Everything is packed away for the duration until sometime in January. But I did manage to do a couple of things since our last podcast. I was really... Now, I should be working on the engine at this point. Everything's ready for me to start rebuilding the engine. And I'm kind of torn between... Do I want to have a 360 motor that's really powerful... Or do I want to have like a 350 Alpina motor that's doesn't have an expand, you know, a classic expansion chamber on it and really makes a lot of low end torque, but would be a lot of fun as an around town bike? Or do I want to take the parts that I have been assembling for the 200cc MX motor, which is going to be peaky and fun, but still a 200? And I'm like, I, I don't know what I want to do. Some of it is I have a 360 lower end, but it's about eh, right now a cylinder and a head for it. You're talking three to 350 for a decent one just to have all the parts to start rebuilding it. That doesn't include a crank rebuild and everything else. And so it, I'm, I'm, I kind of am procrastinating on making that decision. So I started really obsessing about what I wanted it to look like. Cause now that I have the chassis all done, it's like, okay, what do I want to do body work wise? So I started playing around the, the fuel tanks that I had. Well, the first one was I have a plastic Can-Am qualifier tank that, um, I started playing with, but unfortunately I've pretty much given on because the, I, I watched all the YouTube videos on how to restore old MX plastic and they make it seem really simple and straightforward in the, in the kind of like we were saying about watching welding tips and tricks. You mm-hmm. watch it and you go, I'll just do exactly that. And it'll turn out the way this guy did it. And it, <laughs> no, I, yeah. I took my little Can-Am tank and I very carefully started with the little, you know, uh, box knife blade and shaved off all of, I, I used a heat gun to heat up the, the, uh, decals and they came off pretty well. And I'm like, okay, now I'm just going to have to scrape this and sand it and, uh, you know, use, use buff it out a little bit. And this is going to look great. And what I've learned is after 40 years, whatever adhesive Can-Am used permanently changed not just the surface of the plastic, but below the surface, because I can shave everything off and it looks, you know, all the little nicks and scratches and stuff. I could really clean up where the decals were. It doesn't shave off cleanly. It's still powdery. It's still kind of granulated. And what's really bizarre is it's almost like it's puffy, like there's yeah. air in it. 
because I can shave it off nice and clean and run my hand over it and you can still feel a bump there. And it's like, okay, I'm below the surface. I, this isn't because there's still a bump there. I'm shaving this off clean. And as soon as I shave it off, it just expands again. And so I was like, okay, this is going to have a ghost of Can-Am qualifier on the tank forever. It's not going to look like one of those really nicely restored plastic motocross tanks that I've seen so many different places on forums and YouTube videos. I was like, okay, no, okay. So I switched back to my, uh, my old early sixties German Rex steel tank. That was one of the first parts I bought for this. And I really was down on it until I got it stripped down. I, I at one point had just hit it with blue Ford engine paint just to cover it up to keep it from rusting. And I really hated it. And I really was thinking this is really ugly. Once I got the, the, uh, paint back off of it. I was like, oh, this really is in nice shape and it's a really nice tank. And if I wanted to, I could do the little electrolysis trick to get whatever rust is on the inside out and or submerge it and do a full electrolysis on it. And I'm like, yeah, this the problem is it's just too short for the frame. It just looks odd. And so I've been playing around and I think what I'm gonna do is spend some money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think I'm going to go with an AirTech, uh, AirTech streamlining. I was just going to ask if you had ever looked at AirTech before. Yeah. I, I don't want to do a, a fiberglass tank because everybody I've talked right. to said nowadays with street fuel, yeah. eventually yeah, it's going to bubble it. up. No matter how mm-hmm. you seal it, no matter what you do to it, eventually modern fuel is going to get in there and it's going to delaminate it. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get an AirTech Reed uh, Titan seat. Instead of, I was planning on, I was going to create a, a, a buck and make my own fiberglass seat. At this point in the process, it's like, no, there, I'm, I'm going to start hitting the easy button on some of this stuff. Yeah. After my, after how long it took to do the the Honda 125 with all the unexpected things that come up. I'm like, no, I'm going to start doing some known easy fixes on some of this stuff. So I'm going to get an AirTech Reed Titan tank or a seat, excuse me. And for a tank for about 250 bucks, I can get one of those Asian or Indian or Kyrgyzstan made uh, <laughs> tanks. And I think a, one of my favorite tanks that I've always liked is the BSA tank from 71 and 72. They had, a, they had a big British tank and then they had a really nice export tank that the first year 650 BSA oil and frame models, actually the last two or three years they made them. It's a really nice long sculptural low sleek tank. And I thought, okay, so I did a, I used, known figures like wheelbases on different pictures. And I mocked up what I want it to look like. And I really like it. And for the first time, I'm like, okay, yeah, this could really work. So those purchases are going to have to wait until sometime in the spring after 
my checkbook recovers from year-end stuff and holidays and stuff. But in the meantime, I my wife asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I had a uh, little rigid wheelbarrow-style air cleaner or air compressor, and I have a water separator in the line and the water separator line started getting really milky and it's an oil type pump. I'm like, Oh, I got bad rings. And the last couple times I used it, it got really milky. And I was like, okay, it's time for me. And I thought I could rebuild my air compressor fairly cheaply. So I went out I'm like, ah, what is a set of rings? Discontinued. You can't get a piston. You can't get a ring set for it. No more. And I was like, bummer. So I did some looking around. And it, this was about four and a half cubic feet per minute. Now, mine was a five-gallon tank. Black Friday, Lowe's had cobalt. They had a 4.5 cubic feet per minute, 26-gallon tank for like $269, something like that. So mm-hmm. that's my Christmas present from my wife is a new air compressor so that I can use my air tools. And with a bigger tank, I won't have to do the use it for three minutes, set it down, wait until it recharges. My my cutoff tool, you know, cutoff and air grinder, probably yeah. it won't keep up, but I'll have a longer time that I can use it before I need to stop. So, yeah, uh, it's nice to have an air compressor that at least has a big tank where you can run a tool for a while, you know, and like still have air pressure. And then, you know, eventually it has to catch back up or having an air compressor that can keep up with an air tool. That's even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some but, of my tools, this will, you know. Yeah. It, and actually, I did play around with when I was uh uh when I did the tank, I did get out my little soda blaster, my little hand air powered sandblaster and you filled it up with soda, put a tarp out in the driveway and tried it out and it worked. But Oh my goodness, you go through so much like every 90 seconds or, or I'm longer than that, probably two, two and a half minutes of actual use. I had to stop and fill the little hopper again. Yeah. And I'd work on a little, you know, a dollar bill sized area and have to fill it up again. So it works great for really small parts. Like if you wanted to clean rust off a bolt or something, but for trying to do a tank, it was like, yeah, no, this, this isn't going to work. So right. I got out the aircraft stripper and just that worked fine. So it yeah. still needs a couple more hits to get all the old paint off, but I've, yeah been dreaming lately about and this is probably just way out of my range of possibilities but getting a screw compressor for my shop mm-hmm. um you know because they're so quiet and it's like endless air right but they're also very expensive oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah but oh it would be so nice and the nice thing about this new one is it's a whole lot quieter it's it's like i was the rule i always learned was that Oil type compressors were a lot quieter than the oil free type. You know, oh, a little mm-hmm. pancake compressor. This is 
about as loud as my coffee maker. I have one of those little, oh, wow. uh, uh, espresso makers that, you know, forces the, mm-hmm. the water through to make espresso. That's about a 70 decibel at wow. three feet. This is 70 decibels at three feet. You can listen to music while it's on. My old one, I never ran it when Sarah was home because you could like not hear yourself think in the kitchen upstairs. Yeah. So, uh, upstairs in the kitchen, it's, quieter than the dishwasher so yeah. <laughs> i'm i'm thrilled about that i may actually use this a whole lot more my uh, air compressor does all that no it's it's hilarious my my neighbors complain about mine and <laughs> it's probably a lot louder than it once was i swear the crankshaft must have uh journal bearings that are a half inch bigger than the crankshaft <laughs> is and it is it's making some noise so in it clunks. Age. oh it just sounds like it's going to rattle apart now it, it it still works great, and it's this air compressor that I, I have never actually been able to find bef- uh, like a replacement for, unless like it's really expensive. This one I got like ten years ago, and uh, it's a four cylinder air compressor. It's it's two phase, two twenty, um, but it's got a it's four cylinder, and it'll keep up with um, like I can sandblast. And the air compressor will turn on and then shut back off. It'll fill the tank like while I'm sandblasting wow. just continuously. Wow. And so it has worked like, you know, flawlessly, but it's like gotten progressively noisier. And like it sounds horrendous. And it must be a hundred decibels at a hundred feet. It is <laughs> it is violently loud. So, and I know it's it, like its days are numbered. And so I'll probably be on the air compressor uh hunt before is, too long, I'm guessing. Is this where you get some like three quarter inch plywood, cut it and then like double yeah. double layer it and then buy some dynamat and put dynamat well, on it I, and just I build a box about, around it. I thought about making a house for it. Uh, next to my shop and, you know, insulating it and all that. Um, and it wouldn't be a bad idea. The it problem really is if it's air cooled, you're, you're kind right. of doing yourself a disservice because then you end up just having no airflow over it. All. Well, you hard. could, you can, you can cut holes in the box or, or have vents in it. So that at least there's some air circulation in there. Yeah. I've seen but people, it's, but do it's, that. but it's so far limited that. Right. Uh, I do have two things. Got a text from a friend of mine who has a local Suzuki dealer, and he said, I'm supposed to text you when the new Katana got here. So just before I got home, I went over to uh, the Suzuki dealer and actually got to sit on the new Katana. And I, I think overall seeing it in person made me like it a whole lot more. But I think it but. also convinced me that it's too weird for me that yeah. if I had the money and wanted a 148 horsepower motorcycle, it's, it's really weird because it feels like it should be a fully fared bike, but it's almost like a naked from the, when you're sitting on it, you have this huge tank, which really doesn't hold anything. It's only got about a hundred mile range, which is the first negative. Then you've got this big tank and it narrows forward and down so that like all you see is the instrument pod and there's not much, there's not even like a screen beyond that that you can really see from. And then you've got 
what looks like a sport bike with these really big tubular handlebars, which made it really comfortable. But it was almost a little too cramped, especially because the seat kind of slides forward. So if you back up on the seat at all, you just slide right back down against the tank. And it wasn't like some bikes that I've ridden where you felt like you were going to be crushing sensitive parts of your anatomy against the tank. It seemed comfortable, but it wanted you to sit in one spot. Mm-hmm. So it's like, looks wise, I think I liked it more sitting on it. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not even on the wild card list for me. Cause it's yeah. just, well, it's just geez. too weird. Speaking of which, Pete, did you look at the link I put into uh, Slack earlier this morning? Yes, yes. <laughs> so I was I was looking through the AF1 forum and looking at what was for sale, uh, among other things, in the forum. And uh, there was a 2010 RSV4 factory, and it was 6,500 bucks. I'm like, oh, that seems like you know, it's about right for that. And then I saw it was in Kansas. I'm like, okay. And then I clicked on, like, Olathe, Kansas. I'm like, well, that's only a couple hours from Pete. <laughs> that, that's not even a couple hours from me. That's across town. Oh, is it? Okay. Olathe yeah. is, is just the other side of the state line for me. It's probably 20 minutes from me. So, oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm like, yeah, there we go. And, like, you get some, like, tube. You can order some, like, uh, a Tuano uh, handlebars so you're not all leaned over and and there you go. You got a 160 horsepower fun machine. We actually have one of the larger Aprilia dealers. It's not the size of, of, you know, the big ones in Texas and California, but it's actually a fairly big successful dealership. And in fact, it's the place that I bought my spider and my Sarah, my wife, uh, bought hers. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, it, 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 I, I don't, I don't want one. <laughs> I know, I know. It was more of a it was because it's so it's it's so not a you bike, you know. It's just like now you also posted the Ducati selling GP oh, yeah. parts in nice little little display boxes used uh authentic GP components of their engines like a Desmo camshaft, which would be really cool, but again, not anything I'm going to spend my money on. Yeah. But speaking Looks of on a shelf. <laughs> yeah. I, I I have too much crap on my shelves now. My wife and I are are at that stage of life where all the things that we thought were important were like, yeah, get rid of it. Just just declutter. But when I came home and rushed upstairs, I didn't have a chance to open the two boxes from eBay that I got today. So before I decided I was done spending money and time in the workshop, I did spend some time trolling eBay. So I have, I haven't even looked at these yet. But uh, Live unboxing. Live unboxing, and it's <laughs> on a podcast that no one, none of you can see this except for these guys. But, uh, yeah, I, I got a set of FZR 600 rear set foot pegs, which are nice because all of the... Levers and linkages and stuff all mount to the casting mm-hmm. for the foot pegs. So those are ones that people use a lot on custom projects. And I actually picked these up for a really, really good price. And I think it's because someone happened to hit them with uh, a spray bomb. They're like oh. half coated with with white paint. And I'm like, I don't care. So they... Uh, 
They have a whole bunch of really bad overspray on them, but they're in good shape. So that's going to be something, a little Christmas present there for Boltakenstein. And the other box... As Pete rolls back to grab it. ...is yeah. much bigger. Mm-hmm. And this one is uh, for the Aramaki. And uh, in this box, I have... Something that I saw it on on uh, eBay, and I debated buying it, and it went away. And I was like, "Oh man, I should have bought that." And the more I researched, I discovered that it was a really good deal. But this was like months ago. And then searching parts in eBay Motors as I normally do, uh, I, it came up again. And I'm like, yeah, this time I'm buying it. I'm not going to let yeah. myself do this again. So I have, for $119 shipped, I got a perfect Aramaki rear fender taillight license bracket and taillight bracket. All, uh, it's a little dirty. It'll need some polishing up. But from at least the pictures, because it's still wrapped in bubble, bubble wrap, I haven't actually looked at it. But even what I can see here, it's in really good shape. And what I've discovered is these are much more rare than I thought they were because a lot of them rusted out and a lot of them got bent up over the years. So getting all the assembled parts and there's a really weird bracket on the frame that's welded to the frame that this fits in that it. If you buy a universal one, you're going to have to try and make it work with that bracket. I was like, you know what? Just get the right one. I'm, when I started my, the, the Boltaco project and even to an extent the 125, my idea was, Hey, you find used parts, you adapt things, you buy the cheap one and you make it work. I've totally gone the other way of if there's one that bolts on, spend the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't, cause you're going to spend as much money and a whole bunch of time trying to fabricate a solution to make something that wasn't made for it work. So, so that's what I'm up to. So I have new parts that I can at least take downstairs and hold up to it and go, yeah, that'll work. Yeah. (laughs) Good finds. That's awesome. And I have a whole list of things that I'm watching on eBay that I'm now going to watch Someone else buy or go away because I'm I'm done spending money for a little while. Because mm-hmm. I also stupidly decided to up what I'm putting in my retirement fund. Can you believe that? What a waste of what, money what, that is. What are you being responsible for? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Health costs are only going to go up when we're retired, so we might as well. So, mm-hmm. so you buy a you you sell the house, you buy a forty foot boat, and then you just go sail around the Caribbean. That really screws up the whole healthcare thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sunshine and fresh food. Cures most ills. No, I know. There's other factors. So. Um, but yeah. So I've been watching too much YouTube of late. So mostly because yes. it's like one in the morning and I'm like, I can't sleep again. <laughs> so. Yeah. Speaking of YouTube, 44 Teeth did a uh, good review on the Triumph Rocket 3. Oh, yeah. And it's worth watching. Um, it seems like, and 
this is probably no surprise that the motorcycle is very torquey. So <laughs> Gee, I think, that it, think? <laughs> I think it, it basically signs off at 5,000 RPMs, but, um, you know, so it has a very narrow rev range as you might expect for, uh, engine the size of most car engines. But, um, yeah, it seems like it does everything pretty well. And, you know, it looks fantastic. I, I, I it's way more interesting to me than a Diavol. Yeah. No, oh, so. I, absolutely. I think all three of us would agree with that. And, and yeah. I and, hated the looks of the first generation, the old one, so yeah. much. And they've yeah. done such a good job of making it look like something I just want to, every time I see one, I'm like, I want to get on that and ride it. Yeah. The, the first generation when I rode it for a day and it was just like your front, your legs were so spread out, like wide mm-hmm. because of how wide it was. It was like, if you were going, it was okay. But like, if you were in like stop and go traffic and stuff like that, it was awkward. I'm not going to yeah. say uncomfortable. It was just awkward. But, yeah. um, the other, the other thing that was interesting from not only that, but from a couple of other reviews that I've watched is that. I think Triumph built that not to Euro 5, but to Euro 6 spec. Really? So, yeah. So it literally, it, I think all the issues they had with the engine where it's like, as big as it is, it feels like it should have, you know, a little more zip, a little more power. It should sound better. It's, it's literally like, uh, an ECU flash and an exhaust away from being like yeah. a real ripper of an engine. Yeah. So that, that, what the sound of it was kind of a complaint. Uh, with the 44 teeth review just because it was too quiet and it yeah. like didn't really sound like you would think it should, but yeah, that's easily changed. And, and I get that, especially for Euro emissions. So yeah. And, and the Euro and the exhaust, the, the, um, volume, uh, it, it for Euro five has gotten really crazy, um, mm-hmm. it, over there. So it's, yeah, uh, I think uh, if you watch any kind of Euro reviews of anything, any motorcycle stuff, the overwhelming complaint of anything new coming out is, my God, this sounds like ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's just the Euro rule. So, yeah. Well, and, and the other thing about the Rocket 3 is the R version actually has the foot pegs where you would want them. So many exactly. bikes are ruined by those forward foot pegs that are just, I, I know there are people who say they're comfortable. I don't see it. I've never ridden something with my feet out in front of me that I didn't feel like if I just relaxed, my feet were going to drop down onto the pavement and get flung behind me. Mm-hmm. Floorboards are a little different because your feet are resting on them. But it's just I like having my feet kind of like riding a horse. I want to be able to support my weight on my feet if I want and get it off my tailbone, which you can't do. And uh, so so that's... I- uh, it's it's not a cheap bike, but honestly, I think it's reasonable value for money too. I mean, I, it's, I would agree. It it completely takes away my fantasy of having a Harley V Rod VRSCR, mm-hmm. the oh, yeah. one with the rear set pegs in the higher seat. I've I've always thought, oh, a cruiser that is not uncomfortable to sit on would be so cool. Yeah, that went away because this is like I don't care if it's three, four times the price of buying one of those used. If I was going to do that, I would spend the money for one of these. So, right. not that I need anything that big, yep. for sure, or would really enjoy anything that big other than a really long ride out. But I want to say, but spaces. but for where you are, it's it's about the perfect motorcycle. Oh, absolutely, because you're not going to have to ch- turn corners, you know. Although, according to them, it actually handled 
really well. It was yeah. it was like shockingly shockingly sporty. Handling mm-hmm. well and handling effortlessly are two different things, though. I mean, there are a lot of bikes that size that you can you can get to go around a corner, but the physical amount of effort Work. you do to make it happen is always higher given the mass. It's going to be tiring to ride all day in the twisties, even if you can go fairly fast for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Okay. Well, uh, we got a couple of people with hard outs, don't we? Yes. I was just going to say, uh, we both have, uh, Garrett and I have other commitments this evening, so we're going to wrap this up here. As always, thank you guys for continuing to do this with me. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, go to hooniverse.com and uh, you can see our pictures of everything we're talking about. And I'll take pictures of the things I just unboxed if you want to see those. We've got uh, the video of Garrett's bike starting up that I can share with you guys. And we will see you all next month. And to you guys, I'll say so long. Happy holidays.